Stories, fables, ghostly tales. A man is enthralled by a machine. He is changed. He has transformed into something else. The game he plays on his computer has taken hold of him with a vice-like grip on his mind, costing him his wife, his daughter, and so much more. We discovered the journal of a man who has been captured, but has no memory of how he got there and no knowledge of why. But he soon discovers he's in a place equivalent to hell. Welcome, listeners, to an episode that caused me no end of grief. <laughs> I recorded this three times in an effort to get this to you lovely listeners. First time, my audio software just said, nope, be gone with your recordings. Second time, my mic was in a bad position, and I'm new to the mic. Didn't realize it till it's done. But now you have the third recording, mates, which is significantly better. Also, folks, this is an adult episode, not for little ears. So, turn the lights off, the sound up, and get ready for something creepy. Meek. Author note, I've always wanted to write a short story about how utter neglect could involuntarily shape a person's horror. Here is my first attempt. Let me introduce my friend, Meek. He sat at his computer, tongue licking his upper and lower lips in anticipation. A long, nailed, fat and grimy index finger clicked on the mouse at a dizzying pace. An observer might have thought there was an insane miniature tap dancer somewhere underneath the piles of filth that surrounded the man. However, no tap dancer could effectively practice their talent in this cramped and deplorable dwelling. The apartment smelled old. Old food. Old clothes, old sweat and old urine. Older keepsakes from a time when Meek was a different man than the behemoth sitting behind the computer now. Peeked through the places where the trash didn't take over. A narrow path wound its way around the dwelling, taking Meek to the vital places he needed to go when life interrupted. A path to a bathroom that was rarely used anymore, and another that forked 30 degrees to the apartment entrance. Others led to the kitchen, and what might have once resembled a dining room. Another path ended abruptly in front of the bedroom's entrance, a ramp of filth almost reaching the smoke alarm above the doorframe. The high amount of detritus that formed those paths were monuments showing the sloth of recent past, an involuntary story from the ground up. Most of the bottoms of them were newspapers he used, back when caring seemed to be second nature to soak up the vomit and spilled beer. After the insulating layers of refuse began to accumulate above them, however, the carpet became passé to his thoughts. An empty and flattened tampon box, whose corner jutted out from one of the disgusting hillocks near his computer, caught the corner of his eye. His wife, Mary, had left him about a year or more ago, but he barely remembered what she looked like. Even the dust and grime-covered pictures lying face up near the monitor offered a view of a woman he didn't really remember knowing. 
She took their infant daughter, Chrissy, Christy, Krista, with her, as it became clear that Meek was quite incapable of anything besides playing his online game. He suddenly kicked the small mound of pizza boxes under his desk in frustration as his main game character fell to his demise off a ravine and into the pixelated lava below. The group he was running this dungeon with would undoubtedly boot him out of the group for his failure to keep up. He kicked the mound again, his long yellow big toenail piercing a hole through a box and into what he perceived to be the wall beyond. The pain barely registered at first, due to Meek seeing that his internet connection had been terminated. He stomped his other foot into the moist and brown colored spot on the floor to his left. A pungent smell that he had all but become immune to ran through his nostrils. He glanced at his fractured toenail, now resembling the misshapen tip of a bloody spear. He grabbed the foot in pain and cursed the monitor before him, his game character a skeleton at the bottom of a molten orange doom. He worked hard to get his game character to this point. Now, this? Did he cut into the coaxial cable that supplied his internet access with his toenail? Did he kick something else? Bald-headed Christ! Fuck! He shouted to the screen before him, a middle finger echoing what the mountains of garbage near him wouldn't let his voice do. He quickly stood, the crusty and stained seat cushion briefly sticking to his rear and bringing the chair up, and then down with a plastic wheeled bang. Trying to think quickly for a solution to his connectivity problem, he made his way along the kitchen path, slowly limping to the telephone. He was surprised at how much he'd been sweating. Was the AC broken too? He silently thanked his dead mother for the trust fund that she had left to him that sustained his living these past few years. He would call the landlady after the cable company. He became light-headed as his overweight frame limped among the refuse and vomited into an empty cereal box before entering the kitchen. Grabbing a dusty and half-full beer of what must have been the dining room table, he drank, expelling the acidic taste from his mouth. He dry-heaved from the taste of the old beer, thankful that the taste of puke no longer lingered. He hadn't used the phone in ages. No need to, really. He used both hands to claw through some hamburger wrappers and matted paper towels to about where he estimated the phone to be. Several cockroaches scampered away at his touch, their surreptitious duties temporarily put on hiatus. He was correct in his assumption of where the phone should be. He was incorrect by thinking the phone was still there, however. He faintly remembered Mary saying how the phone's ringer woke up the baby at night. Since they could only afford a one-bedroom place at the time, the kid had to sleep in the living room. And since they both had cell phones at the time, the home phone was redundant. So did she move it? Put it away? Throw it out? Fuck me, he said as he picked a small, itchy brown piece of crust from the back of his leg, clawing at the skin underneath. His toe was bleeding worse now, the toenail much worse than he thought as he examined it in the brighter light of the kitchen. The nail cracked vertically all the way down, apparently breaking beneath the skin as well. His toe was easily 
twice the size it had been before his gimpy trek to the kitchen. A sickly wedding of purple and yellow. Meek didn't know the first place to look if Mary put it away somewhere. And quite frankly, he didn't feel like digging through more mounds to look. Another option was the bedroom. There was a landline connection in there. Maybe it was buried somewhere in there. His desire to get back to his game and his throbbing foot prodded him to go back and look. He wobbled along the bedroom path, straight down the hallway, the carpet he trod on making sickening wet sounds. He paused for a glance into the bedroom he stopped using months ago, a brown conical shape of a solid brown and green substance protruding from the grimy toilet. He could see several flies tending to their young among the shape, buzzing with parental defenses as they sensed Meek's presence. Matted balls of toilet paper stood knee-high, occasionally broken by the mouths of empty beer bottles. The bottle tops almost looked like brown mouths, drowning in a sea of disgust. Smears and handprints of a darker colour lined the tiled walls. A picture hung by the entrance of the bathroom, Meek and Mary standing in front of the lake at Epcot Centre. The baby was nestled in Meek's arms, the peaceful shroud of sleep evident on her face as her happy father kissed her forehead. Was that taken before or after the wedding? He thought. He remembered that day, the baby cooing as the boat made its way through the tunnels in the Mexican section of the park. He had no idea why, but he also remembered Mary giving him a light but tender kiss on his neck as the boat sloshed its way through the artificial passages. He made his way toward the bedroom entrance, having to limp Wade through trash that he didn't remember making. Glancing behind him, he noticed that he left a red trail as his foot dragged behind him. Clearing the way to the door took longer than he had thought. There were several large boxes hiding beneath the garbage that were heavier than he expected. Their contents unimportant, as the longing of getting back to his game took precedence over all else. They were stacked high as well, almost reaching where the door met the frame. Throwing the last box behind him down the hallway with a grunt, <clears throat> he grabbed the doorknob and tried to open the bedroom door. It was locked. After several minutes of determination, a few pulls from his obese frame, and many curses of frustration, the door gave way splintering the frame and showering Meek's forearm with wooden debris. Damn it. The room was dark, cool and surprisingly clean. The light shone from the hallway behind him, exposing the motts of dust that chaotically danced at the door being thrust open. Had he really not come in here at all over that year or two? The carpet was the perfect beige it was when his family moved in a few years ago. The pictures that Mary picked out still hung around the room. Parisian beatnik monstrosities that Meek still gave a disdainful glance to. She insisted that since there were no windows in the room, she would make it as sunny as possible. The bed was made as well, the dark brown comforter looking eerily the same colour as the putrescent contents of the bathroom he glanced at minutes before. The phone was on the nightstand, on the side that Meek used to sleep on during cheerier times, with a sigh of relief that any heroin user could relate to, after finally getting a reclusive fix, he limped over to the phone. One foot left a bloody streak, and the other left brown footprints on the unmarked carpet. Sitting down on the bed, 
he picked up the phone's receiver and started to dial when he noticed the square-shaped thing in the corner. Since he didn't think to turn the light on when he came in, and the hallway's light didn't reach the corner, he couldn't make out what it was. He gave his toe a rub, hand coming back bloody and wincing in pain as the dread of realization crept up on him. There was no dial tone. This could mean only one thing. Mary had cancelled the service at some point without telling him, or, more likely, he didn't pay the bill after she left. He couldn't remember. Grabbing the phone in frustration, he threw it in the direction of the square-shaped thing, cursing. He was getting very light-headed now, the coolness of the room doing little to alleviate the sweat drenching his balding, fleshy head. He stood and hobbled over to the square thing in the corner. As he came up beside it, he grabbed the edge of it and winced in pain, <sighs> his foot feeling as if it was on fire. He looked into the square thing, now finally realizing what it was, not just because of its physical shape as much as its contents. The long, decayed corpse of an infant lay in the center of the playpen. The skin almost resembled one of those purplish, super-hot peppers he used to see at the grocery store, making bizarre spiral patterns along the top of the skull. The infant had a permanent scream on its wrinkled and deformed face, as though it was seeing something horrible before its death. That horrible thing must have been loneliness, me thought, as he glanced at his daughter. The thought was quickly dashed, however, as he noticed another figure sitting upright in the darker corner beyond the crib. Mary's eyeless face pointed to the ceiling in a look of pain, as if she had died crying. One hand still rested on the corner of the playpen, the other pulling down the shirt where her breast had been. She must have given the infant... Christina! That was her name. One last meal before she herself had expired. Cursing in worried anticipation, he picked up the phone. It was thankfully still in one piece with the cord from the wall still attached to it, and hobbled to the bedroom door, deciding he would try the kitchen's phone receptacle, now out of a feverish desperation. As he made his way through the doorframe, he immediately saw a problem. The heavy boxes that he had thrown behind him in a frenzy moments later now made a heavy wall that merged with the garbage piles. He could see a portion of his computer monitor beyond, a bubbly orange haze through cardboard and refuse. His foot throbbed and his chest suddenly contorted in pain as if self-preservation began to take hold of his fevered body. Dropping the phone, he fell to his hands and knees and crawled toward the barricade. The first box before him wasn't so bad to move, but the next was impossible, positioned as he was, and he slumped over it. He sensed a cockroach that he must have only partially killed with his weight tickled the side of his torso. Just rest, he mumbled. The kitchen is just around the corner. So close. I will have my internet back within the hour. Just one phone call he thought. Longingly looking at his computer screen, through the cardboard and refuse cracks, his heart finally took his frustration, his toe pain, and him along with it.
Meek. This story was written by Mistrieve. Four days. Day one. I woke drenched in sweat, muscles exerted from straining. My hazy vision took in the surrounding area quickly, as there was not much to see. I was in a small room, a small light above me. There was a pane of one-way glass ahead of me, and a small door next to it. The whole room was colored a darkish gray, even the door. The room was filled with nothing but me and the light, the walls condensing in on me. I looked down to see a sturdy gag tied against my mouth that looked like it was made from ripped t-shirts. Farther down were my hands, tied in the same white fabric, even tighter. My legs seemed to be a bit loose, but the dim lighting didn't allow me to truly see my legs. I thrashed my head around, trying to shake the gag. It was to no avail, but doing so let me see somewhat behind me and what I was tied to. As expected, there was nothing behind me, but I was tied to a plastic, light grey folding chair with gold black sturdy metal beams supporting it up. After fully exasperated from attempting to escape, I noticed my attire. I was in a sleeveless undershirt and wearing only boxes on my legs. The first thing I noticed about this was that it wasn't what I was wearing last. But what was I wearing last? I seemed to forget. I strained to think of my last memory when the door opened. It slowly creaked, showing darkness in its mists. Out stepped a man in a similar wearing of mine, plain undershirt and boxers. He walked ahead to me, and I tried to scream out to him through the gag. He kneeled and looked at me with his dark blue eyes, almost grey. His face seemed just worn out. He had a beard on his cheeks and chin that looked like a bald man's first growing hairs. He seemed to have a small scar above his left eye, crossing through his almost non-existent eyebrow. The rest of his face seemed undamaged, and his buzz-cutted head shined under the fluorescent light, and he slipped a knife out through his pocket. I was getting excited now, as this man was here to help me, to cut my gags and restraints off and free me. But that wasn't what was happening. He put the knife to my arm on the side, and slowly rubbed the cool shank across my flesh. The knife seemed standard, it had a shiny iron blade, and its ivory green hilt seemed smooth and unscathed. I looked at him with concerned yet happy eyes, his blank expression curved into a smile. That's when he started. He grabbed my wrist with his burly hand and held it up. I faded into a confused look, which quickly developed into a panic as he brought the knife onto the start of my index finger. He held me steady, and despite my resistance started soaring at my finger, I tried to scream, the gag muffling my hollers as blood spewed out of my new wound. He kept soaring slowly until he hit bone and broke it. Then with a sharp jab, the rest of my pointer finger came flying off in a slash of blood. He stood up with blood on his arms and chest, not caring in the slightest. He took his knife and put it to his shirt, cleaning off the blood. My whimpered cries slowly seceded 
as hot tears streamed down my red cheeks. He again grabbed my limp, cold hand and held it up. My screams intensified as he brought the blade down onto my thumb. In another gory display, he sliced off another finger. Again coated in my dripping blood, he then looked at my figure as it was probably pitiful and weak, then walked away without a word, leaving me to writhe. And this is the first part of Four Days, a not safe for work creepypasta that is just around the corner. I just wanted to give you a taste of what's to come. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of a morbid hoarder story and the account of the unfortunate Meek. Part of me wonders about the part with the wife and daughter. The fear in their eyes. I understand that the child was scared and crying and had a face of shock, but the mother with her eyes being eyeless as well. I get the feeling that there may be something else going on in the house. Strange, to say the least. Now my brilliant listeners, if you have two seconds, swing on by my iTunes page and leave a review. I've recently got a couple, so thank you so much. And I can't wait to read those out, but I'll save that for the next episode. I do want to use this episode as an opportunity to say thank you to my most recent followers on SoundCloud. Let's get to it. So a big thank you to AC Brown 8364 Fred Bear, Jessica Foley, Abby Jones, Roland Hernandez, Jr., Wetback Jasper, Sam, Judy Terry, Cynthia Becherens, Rico Sloth 821, Barton Wolf, Lars Stanford, Lost Nixia, Jade is Cool 776, Field of Clouds, Morgan Rawlinson, HSN Juan Martinez De Niro, Toxic underscore Jester underscore 88, Kevin Miral Rio, David Matthew Schmaus, Will Berman, and Marion Perez. Thank you so much for following. And to all you YouTube subscribers out there, I have not forgotten you either, but that is for another episode. Trust me. <laughs> but I will get to you, I promise. Also, I gotta mention, Star Eve 2099 Chad Warren, and Mace Joe for the likes and reposts. In particular, recently, Mace Joe has gone on a liking and supporting spree, so thank you so much. I pay attention to every single listener that supports the podcast. I really, really do. And it's people like yourselves, even you just listening right now, that makes the world a difference. Seriously. So, thank you. Now, next week, I'm going to continue the story of the Not Safe for Work creepypasta, Four Days. And I'm going to bring you some more adult-orientated creepypastas and horror stories in the future. Just to spice things up. <laughs> So enjoy your weekend, and as always, till next time.